Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Recruiting Members and Supporting Participation in Planned Governance. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on March 5, 2019. In this podcast, we will hear from a panel discussion. On this panel includes Deanne Gagne, Consumer Member of the Neighborhood Plan of Rhode Island Advisory Committee, Linda McCoy, Consumer Member and Chair of the Central Oregon Health Council Advisory Council, as well as Ken Pariso, a Member Experience Advisor at the Neighborhood Health Plan of Rhode Island, and lastly, Michaela Arsenal, Project Coordinator for the Central Oregon Health Council. Together, they will share strategies and their experiences in supporting and recruiting members in planned governance. So Deanne and Linda, um, I'm hoping that you can take a moment to just introduce yourselves and talk about how you came to join the advisory committees, or in your case, uh, Linda Council, um, of your organizations. Why don't we start with Deanne, and then we'll go to Linda. Thank you. Um, my name is Deanne Gagney, and I currently work for Advocates in Action Rhode Island. I'm a coordinator uh, for both Advocates in Action Rhode Island and the Cross Disability Coalition, which is an initiative of the Developmental Disabilities Council. Um, I came to uh, be recruited uh, by Ken, who I've known for over 10 years. And he, through his work with the outreach of the community, of this disabled community, um, he reached out to Advocates in Action. And in 2016, he had um, had a conversation with me about joining the MAC, which is the member advisory committee through Neighborhood Health. And so in 2016, I joined, and um, that is a perfect opportunity to get, the, to get voices in the room um, that wouldn't otherwise be in the room. Um, and it, it gives an opportunity, as Ken said earlier, to get my voice in the room, but also other people with disabilities who, as I said before, I think that I'm also a member of Integrity uh, Program, so it's a great opportunity to get my voice in the room about the plan, but also other individuals with disabilities as well who, who use Integrity. Oh, that's great. Uh, Deanne, so you were, you're bringing multiple perspectives to the table when you come into the, uh, the meeting room. That's helpful. Thank you. Um, let's turn to Linda. Um, Linda, can you do the same? Uh, introduce yourself and talk about how you came to join the Advisory Council? Sure. My name is Linda McCoy. All six of my children that are still living at home with me are on the Oregon Health Plan. Four of my children are on Pacific Source which is the CCO. The other two are on what's called Open Card, which is a fee-for-service program. All four of my adopted children have very high medical and mental health needs and are also intellectually and developmentally disabled. So I really do understand the complexities of the Medicaid system. I know its advantages and its challenges. And in my day job, I work as an intentional peer support specialist I work with the severely and persistently mentally ill and the substance use disorder population. This provides me a great opportunity to just keep my hand on the pulse of the Medicaid patients, to know what works and what needs to be improved. 
My connection with the Central Oregon Health Council began in 2011 when I was serving as a NAMI representative for a local advisory board, and I was asked if it was okay to nominate me as a board member to the Health Council. And to be honest, I said yes because I was never very good at saying no to things. <laughs> Later, I was able to be a part of creating the Community Advisory Council, which I am chair of, and um, our first meeting was in August of 2012. Ah, so you really have a long history here and, and sort of come at it, again, not unlike Deanne, with um, you know, wearing multiple hats, your own sort of personal experience as well as you know, the experience um, that you get from the work that you do. Um, thank you for that. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. Um, appreciate you both introducing yourselves and so letting us know how you got started with this work. Um, but I want to shift a bit into the, the issue of um, diversity of the members of the advisory councils uh, or committees. So as many of the people on the phone probably know, the population of people who are duly eligible for Medicare and Medicaid is quite heterogeneous, um, and that's in terms of race, ethnicity, age, disability, functional status, geography, and I'm sure there are many, many more um, ways that folks are uh, quite different from one another. So ensuring that you're capturing the experience of that wide range of members um, is important, and yet I know from my own experience that it's also a challenge for many plans. Um, so I wanted to direct the next question to Michaela and to Ken um, and ask, how you work to ensure that you have a set of um, advisory members, consumer members, that is, that are reflective of that diversity. So can we start with Michaela? Sure. So we try to match our CAC demographics as closely as possible with the coordinating care organization's member populations as much as possible. Um, we work to seek out engaged members in spaces that they may already be engaged. We utilize built relationships with community organizations such as Latino community associations, organizations serving individuals with disability or those on low income, um, county health departments, health insurance assisters, the Confederate Tribes of Warm Springs. I would say that one challenge that we have um, is geographic diversity, specifically in the rural outskirts of our region. Um, right now, we're working to address this through rotating our meetings throughout the region, incorporating additional transportation resources such as mileage reimbursement, as well as providing video conferencing options. Mm -hmm. That definitely would help with your, your geography challenge. Um, and thinking about the map that you showed earlier, it does look like it's a fairly large area. Um, so thank you. Uh, let's turn to Ken. Um, Ken, can you address the same question about how you ensure that you have a, a set of members on your advisory committee that's reflective of the diversity of the uh, folks that are in the plan? Sure. Uh, we uh, were fortunate in our early recruiting effort for our MAC that we were able to recruit a group of members that uh, reflected pretty well the diversity of our dual eligible pop population. Um, our current members represent a diversity of disabilities, age, and race. Our committee has individuals with physical and developmental disabilities, individuals with mental health issues, some older adults, an African-American individual. Uh, I, I believe this success reflects our efforts to recruit members through our staff 
who have contact with our members, as well as our community partners that we work pretty closely with. Two areas that we're working on in terms of growing our committee membership are increasing the number of members who are actively involved in the committee and also the number of family caregivers of members on the, the committee. We believe that family caregivers have a valuable perspective in terms of interacting with the health plan as they may represent members with more physical or emotional challenges who, who may be looking to get more involved in programs or need additional services. And we want to increase their voice and perspective on the, the committee. Thank you, Ken. That's, um, that's useful. And, and you did exactly what I said before, named at least one type of diversity that I had not named before in terms of in, including family caregivers. Uh, in the committee, so thank you for that. Um, I'm going to shift gears uh, once again and, and uh, address something that was alluded to in several um, of the comments that uh, Michaela and Ken offered um, earlier. So, um, and this is about supports and incentives, if you will, to allow people to participate. So, as many of you know, people with complex health and social needs, especially low-income members, can face barriers that make it hard for them to attend these sorts of meetings. Um, many plans, including your own, um, help advisory committee members overcome these barriers by offering supports and incentives, and that could include, I mentioned some of these before, transportation, scheduling, uh, stipends, translation, the location of meetings, the actual physical location of meetings, and so forth. Um, so I'm going to go back to Deanne and Linda first. Um, and when you're thinking about your participation in your respective advisory bodies, um, what types of supports and incentives have been most helpful to you? Um, let's maybe let, let's start with Deanne here. Um, and then, uh, and then Linda, and then I'll turn it over back over to Ken and Michaela to fill in some additional information if there is. So, Deanne, do you want to start? Sure. I think a um, couple of important things that have really helped me uh, and other people be a part of the back is that um, people actually get a $60 stipend, which for many people with disabilities, um, they they might not have a job, a paying job, so. Um, it's really a good incentive um, to have to make sure that you get people's voices in the room and that you, you know, people don't feel like, oh, well, I'm not going to get, any, you know, not that you should be in the room just because you're going to get paid, but it's an incentive to, to actually um, have that uh, extra money. And also, um, just being able to... Um, I uh, have the people that you need in the room. I know I take a personal care attendant with me, and it's really important um, that she's there. And as well as, you know, we meet during lunchtime. So, you know, it's really important to have um, food, to be honest. Food always helps. <laughs> yes, food always helps. The draw. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you raised an interesting point about the stipend. You said, you know, it's not the... It's not the reason people show up, but it is, um, you know, helpful. And it, it, it seems to me that it also conveys the value of people's time 
um, no matter where they're coming from. So I appreciate you talking about that. Um, Linda, can I turn to you and ask the same question about, you know, when you're thinking about your own participation, what's been, you know, most helpful to you in terms of supports? Well, sure. When it's not as important right now because I do have am working a full-time job, but before when I was a stay-at-home mom, it would have been impossible for me to attend meetings without the mileage reimbursement. Some of our communities that the meetings are held in are as far as 75 miles from my home. So it's been mm -hmm. very helpful. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking about that, uh, that that map that Michaela showed as well before it gives you a real feel for you know how far these can be. So thank you for that. Um, as I said, I, I wanted to turn over to Ken and Michaela. It was really helpful to hear from Deanne and Linda about their, you know, specific experiences, but um, there may be other people that need other types of supports um, and wanted to see if there are other things that you wanted to add to the list. Um, let's start with you, Ken. Anything sure. that um, Neighborhood Health Plan of Rhode Island provides? Sure. As Deanne mentioned, we offer our members a stipend of $60 per meeting, and I think to your point, Renee, we really feel like that is a sign of, of valuing the time that they uh, spend with us. Um, we, to support members who have children, we also offer an additional $25 stipend to help out with child care support. Uh, the advisory uh, committee meets at noontime, and as Dan mentioned, we provide lunch. Uh, members who need transportation, we provide cab service. For members who may have attendants who support them, the attendant can attend meetings if they would like. Uh, we meet at one of our community health centers in Providence, so it's a fairly uh, central location for people. It's wheelchair accessible. It's a nice. It's it's a nice facility. It's easy to get in and around and out of. Mm, mm, that's great. Thanks for adding to um, what Deanne shared. Um, Michaela, do you want to add to what Linda shared? Sure. So we offer a $45 stipend plus mileage reimbursement to and from the meetings, and that seems to be helpful for folks that live um, on the outskirts um, that I mentioned earlier. Um, and also, like I mentioned earlier, we rotate our meetings throughout the region and provide the call-in video conferencing options. Um, we also provide transportation for members that go to meetings or conferences that may be located outside our region. Um, and then we hold our board and CAC meetings back-to-back, -back, and in between those two meetings, we provide lunch for all. Um, and we also ask members for their thoughts and preferences on the time of day or location of the meetings and make accommodations specifically for members based on their, um, what they've put in their CAC application or um, just through conversation. Ah, so they can make specific requests even if it's not something that's on your, you know, usual uh, list of supports. Right. Oh, that's great. Great, thank you. Um, I'm going to shift uh, gears a bit again um, 